0: Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. If you're a reader of local news, perhaps you'll be familiar with the story I'm about to share. Three weeks ago last night, On Saturday, July 6th, my wife and I left our home at about 7 o'clock to go out for an evening drive. That's what old people do. We go for a drive. And we had a nice time three weeks ago on that Saturday night. We had a nice time driving around Snohomish County. We'd been gone a couple hours. About 9 o'clock, we got back to our house. And as we came up the street near to our home... Uh, Our street was entirely barricaded by police barricades. There were about a dozen police vehicles in the middle of the street at the end of my driveway. There were two or three news vans there. In fact, as I pulled up, there was a lady with a cameraman walking up to the officer to film footage. I got close. I went to the nearest officer. I said, hey, I I live in there. Can I get to my driveway? He said, if you'll drive all the way around the block, come on the other side. You should be able to get to your driveway. We drove around to the other side. I approached the officer there, said, can we get in? He said, yes, I'll move the barricade. You can get in your driveway. As we drove past, my window down, I stopped to the officer. I said, sir, is there any reason we should be concerned? We're going into our house. Is it safe? He said, no, don't worry, you'll hear about it in the news. Indeed, we did. Simeon Berkeley, 74 years old, was driving a Honda passenger car when he was rear-ended about 7 p.m. by a Lincoln SUV. He said the Lincoln had been tailgating him, and Berkeley said because of the tailgating, he slammed on his brakes to allow the other car to go around, but instead was rear-ended. According to witnesses, Berkeley got out of his car after the crash. He walked up to the driver's side of the SUV. He held up a handgun, and he allegedly fired once. He paused, and then he fired again, according to statements in court records. It appeared the bullets had been fired from about three feet away into an open car window. In the SUV, Stephen Whitemarsh, 49 years old, was found dead in the driver's seat. When the police arrived, Berkeley was found standing on the sidewalk nearby. He was talking on a cell phone, allegedly telling his wife, I was going to pick up dinner, tell him I'll be late. After witnesses pointed him out, officers allegedly found a loaded pistol in his pocket, there was a bullet in the chamber, and the gun's ammunition appeared to match the two casings found near White Marsh's vehicle. Now, as an added twist to this story, Berkeley was arrested 28 years ago in California in another road incident where he pulled a gun, shot a man, and left him partially paralyzed. And there's more. Not many days after the crash and the shooting that happened right at the end of our driveway, a new witness approached Everett Police saying, I have video on my cell phone I think you need to see. And the video on that cell phone allegedly shows the same SUV... And the dead victim driving that car chasing a different car in a different road rage incident not long ago. So one man is dead. The other may well spend the rest of his life in prison. Why? I mean, really, why? Because one didn't use a turn signal? Because one was speeding? Maybe one was going too slow. Perhaps one was tailgating. Maybe one cut the other off. Maybe there was an offensive gesture. Really? Die for that? Kill someone for that? Really? When we get down to it, these men's actions are so profoundly foolish. But hear me today. When we allow anger to take over, trivial things become huge things, matters of life and death. When anger rules the day, common sense is tossed aside. Anger, anger is that powerful emotion that can provoke profound stupidity. What are the the roots of anger? What ignites anger's fire? Some suggest hurt, injury, distress, pain. These things cause anger in our lives. Whether those are physical hurts, verbal hurts, emotional, whether they're actions or words, when we are hurt, anger is a response. Fear can cause anger. We have a tendency toward fight or flight. Anger is what would provoke us to fight. Injustice can be an igniter of anger. When we feel mistreated, when we are done wrong, when things are unfair. Frustration causes anger, unmet expectations in our life. You know, the tendency for us is to think this, that It's the insensitive actions of other people that make us mad. Frustrating situations cause anger. But in reality, anger problems have less to do with what happens to us and more to do with how we interpret and think about what just happened. In other words... Anger had less to do with a slow driver in that road rage incident and more to do with what those two drivers thought about. Everybody with me? What was happening on the roads? The Mayo Clinic says anger is a natural response to perceived threats, but each of us also has unique anger triggers based on our own life experience. Sometimes Triggers for anger are self-generated. I found this interesting. There's some evidence that some children are born irritable. <laughs> some children are born touchy and easily angered. And so these signs even can be present in a very early age. Some people are easily angered because they generally feel that they should not have been subjected to frustration or inconvenience or annoyance. In other words, some humans like you and me, we just have an irritable disposition. Some anger is triggered by others. And by that I mean it is taught to us or our experience was influenced by people. Research has found that family background plays a role. Typically, People that are easily angered come from families that are disruptive or or chaotic or they're just not skilled at emotional communications. Some folks live in anger because of this. Their family trained them in angry ways. That's the bottom line. Others are triggered by culture. And our society and culture and the groups that we spend our time with, the conglomeration of people, the beliefs of that group infects us. The convictions of that group affects us. And so we are impacted by society's anger, if you will. I submit that political parties are doing quite effectively with that right now. Each party is proving very good to point out the faults of the other and stirring anger over that, broadly expressed anger at the other. And they expect followers, regardless of party, to fall in line with the party and expel anger at the other. Some embrace anger because of our social surroundings. What are you saying? I'm saying from our experiences, you and I, where we come from, our upbringing, our nature, the people around us, our society. We create these expectancies and then anger is triggered when our expectancies aren't met. Anger. I'm happy today to say there is great news for every human that will hear it. We do not have to live in anger. There is an answer. There is a solution. There is an update. We don't have to be controlled by anger. We don't have to throw pans at one another in our household. We don't have to use our cars as weapons on the streets of our city. If you saw internet video this week, you know, we don't have to take our laptop and smash it over the head of our spouse in an airplane. We do not have to be ruled and controlled by anger. A life update is available to every human being that would have it. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul illustrates and lets us know how that update can happen and what's available. In verse 26, Paul wrote this. He said, Don't sin... By letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. In verse 31, he continues, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of of evil behavior. Now here's the update. He's saying, leave that behind and update to this. Verse 32, instead, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Instead of anger, forgive like we have been forgiven. That's the update that Christianity offers to every human being. Instead of anger, instead of bitterness, instead of being stirred by and moved by and controlled by that destructive emotion, we can upgrade to forgiveness. Well, why should I, preacher? I've lived pretty good with anger. I've just blamed it on my personality. I've just blamed it on my upbringing. I was always told, well, i got anger issues, so I just kind of carry it with me. It's become almost a badge of honor. Well, not a badge of honor, but it is a convenient excuse. Why upgrade to forgiveness? Well, first of all, according to Matthew 18, let's look there in verse 21. Forgiveness maintains our personal pardon. Forgiveness maintains our personal pardon. Peter came to Jesus and he asked him this, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Lord, how often? If they cut me off in traffic, their donkey didn't use a turn signal. How often should I be forgiving, Lord? Seven times? Peter's stepping out there. Seven times? Would that be forgiveness? Listen, I just wonder this afternoon how many of us even measure up to Peter's example. That I I would allow irritating driving seven times from the same driver. But beyond that, Jesus responds to him and says, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Now, Now, in other words, he's saying, you ought to live in forgiveness. You ought to dwell in forgiveness. Forgiveness ought to be your first choice. It should be your habit. And then to illustrate, Jesus gave this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Here's the order of operations. Here's the procedure manual for God's kingdom of heaven. It's compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought who owed him millions of dollars. Verse 25, he could not pay. His master said, fine, you'll be sold along with your wife, your children, everything you own. That'll pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master. He begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay it all. And then the master was filled with pity. He released him and forgave him his debt. Released and forgiven. That's a pardon. He pardoned him. You're done. Finished. No more making payments, no more working it down. It's not just a matter of patience. Forgiven, released, forgotten, it's over. You go free, you're pardoned. Scripture says in verse 28, but when the man left the king, pardon in hand, he goes to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabs him by the throat, demands instant payment, right there, is the forgiveness challenge for all of humanity. Because we like to be forgiven, but we don't like to forgive. That's the forgiveness challenge. The man left the king, he grabs his servant, says he wants instant payment. Verse 29, the fellow servant fell down, begged for a little more time. That's the same thing this first man did. He said, be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded. That's the same thing the first man did. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested, put him in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Some other servants heard what happened. They're very upset because they see the inequity. Remember, we get angry when we see things as unfair. And they're upset. They go back to the king, tell him everything that happened. The king calls the man in verse 32... You evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Look at verse 35. That's what my heavenly father, words of Jesus, will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother's and sister's From your heart. Forgiveness maintains our pardon status. Both of these men had similar starting points. They both had unrepayable debt. One owed millions, one owed thousands. Regardless, neither of them had the cash. Neither of them could pay it back. Both of them confessed, both of them begged, both of them recognized, yes, I made the debt. Please, they pleaded, patience, wait on me, give me a chance, make a break, I'll get it back to you. But after that point, the two went entirely different directions. Because one decided, I'm going to stay offended at the one who owes me. And the other decided, I'm going to choose forgiveness. The debtor got angry over comparably trivial things. He had owed millions, but he was angry over thousands. But the king chose forgiveness. I I want us to know today, choosing offense ends our personal freedom. When I intend to harm somebody else, in reality, I harm myself more. Holding offense harms the holder. Offense harms the one who's offended. But hear me this afternoon. Forgiveness keeps us free. Free. If forgiveness and living in forgiveness keeps us out of jail and keeps us out of bondage, I choose forgiveness. It's a conscious choice. Why do you do that? Haven't you ever been hurted? No, that's ridiculous. Every human's been hurt. I choose forgiveness for this simple reason. I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to go back to the prison that I've been freed from. I don't want to be bound. Bound by the things that I could have been bound by. Why is forgiveness better than anger? Because forgiveness is the update that maintains my pardon with the king. (laughs) On Saturday... This time June the 3rd of 2017 a couple of years ago now rock climber Alex Arnold submitted or summited rather Yosemite's El Capitan 3000 feet of sheer granite Alex began the historic ropeless climb a style known as free soloing He started in the light of dawn at about 5.30 in the morning. At 9.28, less than four hours later, under a blue sky, he pulled his body over the rocky lip of the summit and he stood on a sandy ledge. He is the only one to ever free solo El Capitan. The route Alex chose to reach the top is known as the free rider route. It's one of the most prized big wall climbs in Yosemite. There are 30 sections to the climb. It's so difficult that even over the last few years you made the news when a climber did the climb with ropes. It's a zigzagging odyssey. It traces a lot of spidery networks of cracks and fissures in that granite face, some of them gaping, others barely knuckle-wide. Along the way, Alex squeezed his body into narrow chimneys and he tiptoed across ledges about the width of matchboxes. In some places, he dangled in open air by his fingertips. At roughly 1,800 feet up, 180 stories up, there's a particularly difficult section called the boulder problem. It's the pivotal point, the crux of the entire climb. It involves a small hold. Think about this, one-eighth of an inch wide. One eighth of an inch wide, followed by a karate kick, or the alternative is to do a double dyno. Here's a clip. Alex is explaining during a practice climb with ropes, he explains this section the boulder problem. Look at this. Did you catch that last phrase? So the idea of jumping without a rope, that was a practice run. Seems completely outrageous. If you miss it, that's that. You see, without a foothold, the climb is over. Without a foothold, he falls to the bottom. Without a foothold, he can't keep progress. I want us to know this afternoon, that's another reason that forgiveness is a fabulous update for living. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4, Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. But in verse 27, Anger gives a foothold to the devil anger gives a foothold to the devil. As long as I stir up anger, I maintain anger, I allow anger to foster. If I allow bitterness to brew in my life, then I'm allowing the enemy to get a foothold and keep climbing into my mind and keep impacting my life and my decisions. But I I share with you this afternoon uh, that forgiveness removes the devil's foothold. And, And by forgiveness, the enemy has no place to stand and by forgiveness Satan's got no spot for leverage when we forgive our spiritual foe falls from our lives no ropes holding him up when we promise and give ourselves the forgiveness he loses his grip and as Alex says that's that. Somebody needs to hear me this afternoon. You've been catering to some anger and it's only burying you. It's only harming you and it's only giving the enemy an advantage in your life. Can I preach to you today? You don't have to live that way. You don't have to succumb to that. You don't have to give the enemy a foothold. Instead, forgiveness knocks his feet out from under him. How, preacher? If I want this update, I want to update to forgiveness. How does it happen? How do I practice it? How do I find it in my life? First thing we find in Mark 11, there's some easy things we can do. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus, again, is teaching. He says this, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. When you are praying. When you are praying, prayer is the place to start. I want to upgrade to forgiveness. I want to update the software that's running my spiritual life. And the first step is prayer. Conversations with God. Genuine and candid communication with God. I I just speak to Him what's on my mind, what's in my heart, and I am open with Him communication. Prayer reminds us of our need to forgive. It's not an accident that he says, when you're praying, first forgive anyone. You know why he says that? Because when we are praying, those things come to mind. When we are praying, those issues come into our heart and spirit. And so we start with prayer. Prayer brings me to the presence of God. And there's something about his presence. His holiness reminds you and I of our imperfection. And when he reminds me that I'm not as perfect as I put on at work. I'm not as perfect as I put on in the neighborhood. I'm not as perfect as I put on in the church pew. When I get in the presence of God and I begin to recognize I'm not as perfect as a little sign I'm putting up. It's amazing how humility is increased in my life. Pride can't reside in God's holy presence. And that reason, prayer and pride cannot coexist. And so my first step to living in forgiveness is to begin that update in prayer. Prayer that will foster forgiveness. And as we pray, we enter into the second place. Second step. We become more aware of our mistakes and our frailty. It's time to confess those imperfections to God. First John 1, 8 and 9, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That is such a powerful and painful statement. When I feel like I am perfect, I am the only one fooled. Certainly God isn't fooled. But people around us aren't fooled either. He goes on to say this, but instead, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. In other words, like the parable of Christ, when the king sends a messenger and says, Hey, you've got a debt that you owe, and I'm collecting for the debt. The way the king forgives is when you and I will just fess up, and we'll plead and say, Look, I don't have the millions of dollars. I don't have the thousands of dollars. I realize I have a debt to pay, but I cannot pay it. And when I am sincere and I confess my shortcomings, I say, Look... I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. I make mistakes. I do dumb things. I have tripped and fallen and made all these crooked things. When I do that, no arguments, no qualifiers. It's amazing what happens because the king says, listen, not only am I going to give you more time to pay, not only am I going to hold your debt for a longer note, no, I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to release it. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to let you be over everything pardon is on the way when we are candid enough to be honest with God he's faithful and just to forgive him to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness from all wickedness. Preacher, you don't know my story. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know where I came from. You don't know what's happened in my life. You're right, I don't. And I I probably, not knowing that, could not have the compassion that I ought to have. But I know one who does. And the Lord, in His Word, expressed, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all, of all, of all wickedness. You know, in this house right now, if you will, will you bow your heads everywhere you are, just right where we are? Will we begin to have just a moment right now of prayer? Will we just begin to talk to God right now? Would you just be, recognize the presence and the power of God and confess our mistakes and our imperfections and allow Him to forgive us in this house. Wonderful Jesus, I believe Your Word today. I believe Your Scriptures, oh God, in my mind, in my heart. I'm not sure how I can work it all out and figure it all out, but I am going to trust Your Word. I'm going to believe in Your Word. Lord, I have messed up. said things i wish i wouldn't said i responded in ways i wish i'd ought not done in fact lord there's times i've been on the offensive and i have pursued and gone after and caused harms that i, I really wish i hadn't caused lord it grieves me i've some of my foolishness it's not just impacted me, Lord, but it's, it's hurt people around me. People I care for. People that matter. Would you forgive me, O oh God? Lord, I plead, I beg, as those in the parable, I ask you, O oh God, to forgive me. I ask You, O Lord, to be patient with me. I ask You, O Lord, to follow after the promise of Your Word. I ask You to forgive me, Lord. Would You forgive me of the things I have done? Would You forgive me, O Lord, of my attitude, my demeanor? Lord, whatever it is that strikes You, O God, as wrong, Lord, as I remember these things, Lord, as they come to my mind, Lord, uh, while I am here praying, I'm asking You, Lord, to forgive me. I confess, Lord, I, I am not perfect. I don't have all the answers. I I haven't got it all figured out, Lord. The way I present myself as being all buttoned up and all organized, it's not true God, and I I confess it to you, oh Lord. I've got some fractures, and I've got some faults, and I've got some things, oh Lord, that I have not been able to repair. But I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, all wickedness, of everything, O Lord, that would come against you. Across this room, would you just raise your hands for a moment and just rejoice in the presence of God? Come on, would you just accept God just did what we just asked Him to do? Would you do that everywhere, men and women, young and old? Would you say thank you to the Lord right now? Would you thank Him for hearing your prayer? Would you thank Him for responding in your life? Would you thank Him for ministering to you right now? Thank His Word for being true. Thankful that there's an update. Thankful that I don't have to live in anger. I don't have to live in bitterness. Would you just thank Him for a moment right now? Can you take a minute and say, Lord, You are good. Lord, You are faithful. I'm, I'm so thankful for Your kindness and Your promises to me, O oh God. Our prayers, our confession, mixed with His forgiveness, it prepares our lives for the forgiveness update. (laughs) Confession and forgiveness, it, it readies us for that update. And then we have to do this, folks. It's still something that rests with us. We have to choose forgiveness. Earlier in the parable, Jesus taught forgiveness was our choice. Forgiving others depends on our action as individuals. And He's forgiven us so freely of so much, here's what He expects, we would do the same to others. Knowing this, the apostles gave some additional direction. I'll just do these quickly, but I want you to see this. In Hebrews 12, 14, he says, Work at living in peace with everyone. Scripture isn't ignorant of the challenges of humanity. Forgiveness rests in our obligation with other human beings. And the writer of Hebrews says, work at it. Work at living in peace. Forgiveness is work. Preacher, you don't understand. I have a hard time forgiving. I do understand. And I understand there's one answer. We have to work at it. The Preacher, I've just always struggled with forgiveness. It's been a habit, not just for me, but handed down in our family. You know what? I, I get it. I'm as human as you are, and we have to work at it. What do I do? How do I deal with that? I've already preached it. We get ourselves back in prayer. We get ourselves in the presence of God. We get ourselves on our knees and calling out to God. And in His presence, as I see His power and I see His holiness, when I am praying, it brings me back into a more humble place. And in that place, I'm able to forgive again. I got to work at it. I got to learn better thought habits. I got to practice better thought habits. I got to learn better communication skills. I got to practice better communication skills. But in the end, we choose forgiveness by working to live in peace with everyone. In the next verse in Hebrews 12, the last part of that verse, the writer says this Watch out! Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Practically, when we choose forgiveness, we got to practice bitterness prevention. And we're just not going to entertain angry thoughts. We're not going to speak those thoughts to life. We're not going to revisit and stew on offenses and to let the sun go down on our anger. That, that lets us know we need to rid ourselves of that as quickly as possible. It ought not be days on end without resolution. There ought to be a spirit that we have the Lord help us to push off bitterness. We, we choose forgiveness by watching out for any poisonous root of Bitterness, again, when I hold that poisonous root, it's poisoning me, not the one I'm angry with. And while we have to choose it for ourselves, I want to close with this understanding. God does give us amazing assistance in this area. He won't do my forgiving for me. Let's say somehow in some different world, in some twilight zone, sweet Brittany offends me somehow. I can't even imagine what world that's in. Let's say Brittany offends me. I can't pray and say, all right, God, forgive Brittany for me, will you? God doesn't operate that way. God will forgive my faults and my mistakes, and when Brittany prays, he'll forget her faults and her mistakes. But I can't go to God, start praying about how Brittany upset me, and say, okay, God, let her know I've forgiven her. Will you do that? It doesn't work that way. He won't do the forgiving for me. I'm going to have to go to Brittany and say, listen, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I've been holding some stuff against you. Uh, This happened, that happened. When you did this, I felt this way because... But I've been holding something and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Will you forgive me? I have to take care of that. But here's what God did for us. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Here's what the Bible says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. You know what those are? Those are gifts, those are blessings, those are effects of the Holy Spirit that make forgiveness so much easier. When I've got the Holy Spirit putting love in my life, forgiveness comes so much easier. When I've got the Holy Spirit putting joy in my life, forgiveness comes so much quicker. When I've got the Holy Spirit putting peace into my mind and and peace into my spirit, then forgiving others is an easier factor. The Holy Spirit allows easier lives of forgiveness. This week, I was talking to somebody about the Holy Spirit. I was encouraging her to receive the Holy Spirit. And while she let me know she was uncertain about some things and Didn't know about that speaking in tongues business. She also said she had some family that's received the Holy Spirit. And particularly, she said to me, she was impacted by her dad. who Not long ago, received the Holy Spirit. Here's what she said about her dad. He's not the angry man that he was. Fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such there is no Law. I I preach to this congregation today the update to live in forgiveness and put angerness and bitterness and harsh words and rudeness and cruelness behind us and instead live in the power of the Holy Spirit where there is love and joy and peace in Him. When I was young, I remember singing an old hymn that celebrated the peace of God. "Peace, peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever. I pray, in fathomous billows of love. I I love that hymn because it doubles as a prayer. It's like praying to music. It's an excellent prayer. It's a rhythmic prayer calling for the peace that only God can provide. Desiring, pleading for the peace that only our great creator can place into our lives. A peace that overwhelms anger and that paves the way for the for forgiveness and the update that comes with it. Boy, my message today is clear. Our musicians are coming. We're going to sing in just a moment. Would you... Would you like peace in your life today? Are you needing some peace in your spirit today? Are you interested in the love and the joy of the Holy Ghost today? Maybe there's some here who need help living in forgiveness. We've Seen the Holy Spirit as being our ticket to heaven and our ability to overcome some other sins and remarkable things in our lives we couldn't overcome, but we, we hadn't applied it to this. We, we didn't recognize how it could help with this. I wonder if there's some people here today that'd like to extend the pardon you've been living in. The king said, you're forgiven and released. It's over. No debt due. The enemy would like to get a foothold with some anger in your life. Would you like to rebuke the enemy? Open up your spirit once again to the move of the Holy Ghost and say, you know what? I will not give the enemy a foothold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in forgiveness. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I'm inviting everybody, each and every one, stand with me right now. To invite God's help in our lives. I'm inviting every person, and I'm going to invite you a lot of times. I say just stay in your pew or pray anywhere you want, but I'm going to provoke for a little action, a little response today. Invite you to come out of that pew and walk down an aisle, come up in this front area, and just place yourself. Have it in your mind. When I get around front, I am entering into the presence of God. I'm stepping into the presence of God. I, I'm going to first, when I pray, I'm going to begin to allow the presence of God to provoke humility in my life. I'm going to allow the presence of God to push out pride from my life. I'm going to allow the presence of God to soften me up again. And as I'm here, that's awesome. Come on, make your way. Don't wait on others. Start praying. And begin to say, Lord, I, I want to confess that I'm I'm not a perfect person. I, I don't do everything right. I, I made some mistakes. I've got some faults and some errors. Lord, would you forgive me? I want to be right, Lord. I I want to be right in your sight. And as you begin to pray, would you invite the Lord for peace right now? Would you make that your prayer? Lord, I want your peace. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. You give me peace